you so much for being here. Uh, we are so thankful. He has flown in from Dallas, Texas. He is a successful business owner. He's a family man. He's got three awesome boys, a beautiful wife. He wrote the book, The Grit. If you have not read it, it is awesome. I have loved it. He now, like I said, just recently wrote this book, You Need More Money. He's helped me in my business. I'm excited for him to help you in yours. Please help me welcome Matt Panero. bit of housekeeping to get started. I talked to my mom, my 70-something-year-old mom, before I walked in here, and I said, I'm in Nashville. She said, oh, good. Can you get a picture with Todd Chrisley? <laughs> so if anybody knows Todd, would you just tell him I'm here till three, and I'd love to get a pic <laughs> for my mom. Uh, Carrie Ann called me, probably like she's called many of you in the office, in this room. And uh, you, you just say yes, right? So let's give a clap for Carrie Ann and her team for putting it together. There's four things I'd like to share with you all today in our time together. The first thing I hope to get through to you is a message of courage. The second thing is a message of hope. The third, unfortunately, I know will happen is a message of fear. And the last is a message of strategies to put it all together. You see, for me, it started in 2013, this amazing journey that I've been on when my lifetime goal of building a business that did 100 million bucks a year happened. So me and my team, after kicking and scratching and fighting and punching, for 18 years, hit that $100 million a year number. And it really should have been more fun. It should have felt a lot better for me and for us. But I would lay in bed at night, my wife, her name is Rocky, R-O-K-K-I, on the birth certificate, R-O-K-K-I. She was next to me and our three boys were in their rooms and I just was terrified. I just knew it wasn't sustainable. I knew it wasn't real. I knew it wasn't gonna last. And I had to figure out why. Why had worked so hard. We as a team had worked so hard to build this successful business. Why wasn't I happy with it? And so my mind started to go way back and back and back and back. It took me all the way back. To six months old when my birth dad split, left me and my mother high and dry. Poof, gone. Never saw, never heard from him again. I started remembering the kids on the playground who used to call me Fat Matt every day. I remember when my mother remarried and her husband, who is my father, who loves me and I love him, used to call me stupid and idiot and retard and moron every day. Because I began to realize this, folks. This is fact number one. I, I don't believe that we build lives of who we really are. I believe we build lives to quarantine the pain 
that we don't want to let seep out. We block it. We bury it. And we end up building these big personalities and these lives and these caricatures that aren't really who we're supposed to be. But it's who can protect all this nastiness that we've experienced. And so I turned that nastiness into fuel to build a business. And I did it. And in 2013, when we hit that number, that fuel started to burn off, right? But that nastiness, that pain was still in there. But I'd already hit the goal, so I wasn't burning with the same fuel. The afterburn of the pain wasn't the same. And it started to make me a little crazy. Like verifiably maniacal. And so these events, these morning scrums that we would have for all these years that were these incredibly motivational talks with my team to get everybody fired up, to go into the marketplace, to kill, became bitch sessions. And I would just beat them down. And I would tell them how terrible they're doing and how they suck. And how they're so lucky to work for a company like this and for a guy like me. And at that time... I had a live radio show, and at perhaps the lowest moment, I went into the studio with our video production guy who was terrible. He was a really nice guy, but he was a terrible video production guy. He could never get it right. Every time, caller, drop. Hi, this is Matt here, caller, how are you? Drop. And I said to him, today's the day you're gonna get it right, pal. Today's the day your life's going to get fixed. Today's the day we're going to get this radio show ready. Boss, I got it covered. It's all set. Don't worry about it. We're dialed in, boss. Live caller. Caller, this is Matt. Drop. Get the guy back on the phone. I'm screaming. I'm working on it, boss. I'm working on it. I got the guy back. Caller. Drop. I literally lost my mind. And we had a, a setup a desk with a mic mounted onto the desk. I literally ripped the mic off the desk and I smashed it through all the flat screens that I had behind me. I literally destroyed my own studio and then I threw the mic at the guy. I remember, man, like it was yesterday. I walked out of that studio, opened up the door and my entire staff is looking at me. And they're saying, did Monero kill the guy? Right? What the hell just happened in there? But they were not looking at me with admiration anymore. They were looking at me with disgust. They were looking at me with fear. They said, Monero's finally lost it, man. This guy that we left our jobs for, this guy that we left good careers, this guy that we left to follow has completely lost our trust and our mind. He's lost his mind. And I went into my office, I closed the door. And I cried like a baby. What the hell had happened to me, man? How did I let it go so crazy? How did I, how did I lose the trust of all these people that had helped me build something that had made me rich and many other people in my office rich? I said, this is not who I am. This is not how it ends. I'm going to fix it today. And I went out of that office, and I called everybody together, and I said, I'm torching it. I'm burning this business to the ground. 
I'm rebuilding it the way this business should have been built, on mission statement, on core values, and on trust. And I don't care if we go to zero. I don't care if we lose every nickel that I've established over all these years. I'm rebuilding this business the way it should have been built in the first place. That's the first message, the message of courage. You all have that same courage. You need that courage. There are things going on in your life that you need a torch. There are things going on in your business that makes you have sleepless nights just like I did. And you need to go back and you need to torch it. You need to bring the lighter fluid and the kindling and you need to burn it up. There are things going on in your relationships that need torching too. You've got to have courage to fix that shit. I apologize for swearing. I was with Coach Bert for the last day and a half. He didn't swear one time. But it, it wore off in about 12 minutes. So. I said to the group, we're going to rebuild this business with a mission statement and core values. And it took us four months, meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting on what the heck do we stand for? I ask you all, if you leave here today, do me one favor. What do you stand for? What will you tolerate and what will you not tolerate in your life and in your business? You have cancer in your business. You've left to come to this amazing event and people are talking smack about you at your office. Don't do it. Don't tolerate it. Have the courage to fix it. Our mission statement has absolutely nothing to do with profits or business. Our mission statement is CFF, the name of the business, exists. Very important word. What do you exist for? Literally, what are you here for? CFF exists to help our clients and ourselves reach our full potential through expertise, expectations, and gratitude. That's what the business now stood for. It doesn't talk about truck financing. It doesn't talk about low price. It doesn't talk about amazing service. That's the business I wanted. How do I help you, my client, and you, my employee, reach your potential? Well, I'm going to do it in three ways. The first, very important for our business owners in here, or leaders, or managers, you must require expertise. Average gets crushed. Amateurs get destroyed. Experts get paid. Number two. You have people that you lead, whether they're in your home or in your office, who have no idea what you expect of them. You know what you expect of them, but they have no idea what you expect of them. Do you understand? Big difference. You must lay it out. You must tell them what they are expected to achieve, what time they're supposed to be there, how they're supposed to dress, how much revenue they're supposed to bring in. What line they can cross and what line they can't. And the last thing you have to do is not say, hey, I appreciate your business. And not say, hey, thanks for the business. you got to look them in the eye and you got to say, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you chose to come to work for me. I'm grateful that you chose to trade money with me. Big difference. 
Try it on your customer next time you see it. Next time you close a deal, don't look at your customer and say, hey, thanks for the business. Look them square in the eye, hold the hand and say, I'm grateful. You'll have a very different connection. Then we went to four core values. You can look at the core values on our website. You can look at it in my first book. You can look at it in this book. These core values changed everything for us. They're, they have taglines underneath them if you want better descriptions, but I'll just describe it to you. Core value number one, company profits. I can't be here in Nashville if the company ain't making money, right? We can't do cool stuff if the company isn't making money. I can't pay 100% of the health insurance premium for my staff if the company isn't making money. Why would I pay 100% of the health premium for my staff? Because I got single moms on my staff. That's important to me. I want them and their children to know that this company cares about them and they're paid for, they're covered, 100%. You can't do it without profits. Number two, I think the most important one, personal happiness. I want to work with happy people, man. I don't want to be around negative people. I grew up with it. Remember the story of my old man? I don't want to be around people like that. I lived a lifetime of that negativity until I was 18. I'm done with that crap. I want to work around happy people. So raise your hand if you've woken up and said, I can't do this job another day. Oh, come on, please. I don't want my company to be that place. I don't want my business to be the place that people I work with say, I can't do it anymore, I hate it there. I want them to be happy. Personal happiness, number two. Number three, customer loyalty. I need my customers to like the experience so they come back and do business with us again. And number four, preserving our reputation. Because when it's all said and done, that's really what we got, is really, did you hose people or did you do good, clean business? That to me is what matters. Those four core values, take them, put them into your business. They work in any business, it's not an equipment financing business, four core values, those work anywhere. Take them, steal them, put them into your business. But if you really wanna have the courage to do it, if you really wanna go the distance and torch the son of a gun, you got to put one other thing in. And that was the hardest thing to do. It's a new employment agreement. Which forces those people that work for you to commit. To say, I'm all in. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Everything was going fine with this torch. Nobody was having a problem with the torch about mission statement and core values. But boy, when I put that employment agreement in, it was very simple. I got it back from legal. It was 25 pages. And I said, no, 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 no. Listen, you've already overcharged me. I don't need 25 pages. I need one page. All I needed to say is you can go to work for a competitor. You can start your own equipment financing company. You can compete against us at your will. You just can't do one thing. You can't take food off our table. You can't steal your customers. I'll come after you hell-bent for election if you take food off my plate. Seven people quit. We were down 30 million bucks, just like that, off of that one agreement. 
My top producer at that time, his 2015 W-2, and I don't use um, PowerPoints anymore. I think PowerPoints are a little bit um, of a crutch when you speak. I don't mean to be rude to people who use PowerPoints, but I think you, know, you need to know your content more than just what a PowerPoint does. PowerPoints are easy, right? If I was using a PowerPoint, I would throw his W-2 up there. I would white out his social security number and I'd white out his name, but I'd show you his numbers. He made $567,000 in personal income in 2015. Pretty good chunk of change, right? Now you can figure out your own profit margins on that, how much your business, if you have someone in your organization making 567 grand, you can figure out how much that's putting in your pocket, right? And he came to me and he said, hey, can I close the door? I said, sure. He said, come on, I've been with you 12 years, man. I'm one of your top guys. I mean, we're gonna work a deal, right? I said, maybe you didn't hear me, man. We're torching this baby. We're burning it up. No side deals whatsoever. Everybody plays by the same rules. You're gonna sign that agreement by noon on Friday or your ass is out of here. What do you do Friday morning? Knock, knock, knock. Hey, can I come in and share? He's like, come on, really, let's talk about this. I'm like, dude, did you not hear me? He said, I'm not signing it. I said, here's a box. Take your shit and get out. And six other people went with him. Four equipment financing companies now exist in Dallas, Texas after working for me. Okay? Are any of them making $567,000? Heck no. Okay? But that's the big misnomer in entrepreneurship, right? Everybody thinks the boss is making so much money, right? Everybody's going to make more money on the road. Yeah, until you talk about accounting and HR and IT and marketing and infrastructure and utilities and property taxes and income taxes and all that other stuff, right? Go, I said. Go, guys. Knock yourselves out. Get out of my way. I'm torching this baby. I'm rebuilding it. 2016 was a pretty tough year. We were down 30 million bucks. We had to make it up. We had to hire more people. We had to train more people. 2017 was banner. And to give you hope that the torch will work, this year we'll do at least 180 million bucks. I appreciate you. I'd love to ask you, what would an 80% increase over the next two years look like in your personal financial situation? 80% increase, right? Hey, by the way, if you're making 500 grand a year, I'll give away a copy of the book for our math majors. If you're making 500 grand a year right now and you have an 80% increase in your business, how much would you be making? Take a guess. Who said 900? Very good, sir. Are you the accountant in this group, sir? I am the, I'm the rainmaker in my group. Ah, very good. If you're making 100, you're now making 180, right? That helps a lot. If you're making five bills, you're making 900. That helps a whole lot. Think about that. Listen, we're in a good economy. Yes, I get it. 100% of the success of the business is directed to the torch. 100%. The only thing I do in my office every day is point to the mission statement, and on the other wall, I point to the core values. Does that connect to our core values, I say? No. Well, then we're not doing it. Does that connect to our mission statement? Right? Did you have the chance to serve that deal up to our support staff on a silver platter, or did you purposely back off the throttle and serve up a mess to the girls? Well, I kind of served up a mess. Did you see this here? Expertise. That's not what experts do. You see how easy it is, guys? I know it sounds crazy, 
But the chaos that exists in our business and our lives does not have to continue. You can fix it if you get the clarity of mission statement and core values. Number one core value, by the way, don't just do it in business, take it personally too. Number one core value in my life personally is I will be a better father to my three boys than my father was to me. Now look, my old man didn't set a high bar, okay? <laughs> That's pretty easy, but I'm still looking for Todd Chrisley. Did anyone call Todd Chrisley for me? My mother's gonna be devastated. I gotta drive by his house. I gotta get the Uber to take me by his house. Does anybody know seriously where Todd Chrisley lives? I'm not kidding. I will go by his house and at least snap a selfie for my mom. How far is it? How far? By the airport or farther the way? All right, we'll talk afterwards. All right, we'll talk afterwards. Number one core value for me, better, be a better father to my children than, than my father was to me. My son is a sophomore, going to be a junior, plays varsity football. They do their spring football game. It was supposed to be tomorrow night, the green-white game. I get an email last night that it's tonight. Right? I'm on the 5 o'clock instead of the 7 o'clock. I'll catch the second half. And when he comes off that field, he'll see me up in the stands. And he'll be super happy. How serious are you about these lines in the sand, y'all? Serious cost me a grand, by the way, to change the flight. How serious are you? I'm telling you, get relentless to a mission statement and a core value that connects to who you are, that cleans up that nasty pain that we're all quarantining, and torch what you like to get what you love. That takes me to this book. Because during that process of the torch of my business, we were going through a very devastating time at home. Now, my wife, I already mentioned her to you, Rocky, five foot two, little spitfire redhead. I mean, just tough as nails. We're tight. We have an amazing 21-year marriage. But I know that my wife loved her brother more than she loves me. And he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Thought he was going to the doctor to get a shot the Monday after Easter Sunday. We saw him Easter Sunday. He didn't look great. Looked like he'd lost some weight. Didn't eat much. But he told me he was going to go to the doctor the next morning. He was going to get a shot and everything would be okay. Well, it wasn't okay. Went to the doctor, diagnosed with stage four cancer. He was sent immediately to the emergency room. Just devastating. Devastating for our family. I go down to see him at the hospital and I said, listen, I'm, I'm the business guy. Right? By the way, he was 46 with a wife and four children. His youngest daughter is learning to save. I said, buddy, I'm here for you. Let's get this thing worked out. We're going to fix this thing. Let's talk about money. Tell me about your insurance. I don't have any insurance. So you don't have any health insurance? By the way, this is the fear part of today. There's no zero down financing with cancer, y'all, okay? 
You either have insurance or you do not get the best care. I said, how much money you got in the bank? He said, I got less than 100 bucks. I said, holy crap, man. He said, but there's one more thing. I don't have any life insurance either. He says, I can't make money now. So I said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of all your bills. I'll take care of everything. Let's just get you better. I called the landlord. He was renting a house in Capel, Texas, lovely town that really reached out, delivered incredible support, probably like a town like Brentwood would. And uh, the landlord said, wow, I'm really glad to hear from you. What are we doing about the 10 months back rent? I said, you're on your own there, honey. Right? I mean, I know John's a charmer, and he's good looking, and he's handsome, and all that sort of stuff, but I ain't paying his 10 months back rent, all right? Can you imagine that? This guy was such a charmer. He was such a magical guy that he charmed his way into 10 months back rent. <laughs> Here's what I can tell you. The ability to write those checks to help John and his family and his children focus on trying to get better has been the greatest gift I have ever been fortunate enough to give. And that's what creates this book. I like to ask a question. Anyone seen ads on Facebook for this book? Has anyone seen the comments from some people? We talked about that. Anybody? The vile, just vicious hate that has been directed to me for writing this book because they think that this is a book about investment strategies and annuities and different ways to earn returns on the stock market. It's a story about my brother-in-law, man. And this is a story of, of two directions with money. The first direction is not having it, and the second direction is the power and strength of having it. I love this book. I love this journey that this book has taken me on. I have met the greatest people. I'm here with you guys today, right? I'm telling the story of my brother-in-law, John, in an effort to wake people up to a couple simple facts. The first fact is most of us are behind, like way behind financially. Because we live in this concept called false positive. I, I define false positive as we believe we are doing better than we actually are. It's when the bills don't come on pink slips anymore. It's when we can go to Disney World and drop 10 or 15 Gs on it and come back and we're still okay. We can have the two rides in the driveway. It's okay. We can go to this fancy steakhouse, right? I'm trying to remember the name of these purses the rocker buys. I wish I could. I can't believe I can't remember the name of these things. I keep going. No, you, you only buy them at Barney's. You can only buy them at Barney's. I can't believe Huh? No. I can't remember. I'm going to text her. and No. No. I'm so sorry I can't remember it because you guys will probably go out and buy it. You can, get a, have a, you can have a closet full of those too if you're in false positive. So here's the bottom line. 
I want to give you some strategies that connect to the book. And I hope that I can wake you up to this fact that it's okay to be behind. But sooner or later, one thing is going to happen. You are going to have to make a decision whether you won or lost at the game of money. There is no middle ground. Here's how you know, whether you're 26, 36, or 86, you will have to make a decision. Did I live the life that I was supposed to live and therefore make enough, save enough, stack and rack, and do whatever the hell I want? Or did I quit on myself? Money is the ultimate leveler when you look at it that way. You either win or you lose, period. There is no middle ground. So, a little bit of strategy on the book, and then I think Carrie Ann and I are going to do a little Q&A. Maybe we'll answer any question. There's no question topic off limit. There are three mindsets to money, y'all. The first is the blamer. That's the guy who says, oh, doggone it, it's Trump in the office, right? Oh, the economy, man, that's why my business sucks. The economy sucks. Everything is somebody else's fault. It's not his or her fault at all. Everybody else. You might be married to one of them, right? There might be your deadbeat sister-in-law who's always whining and complaining about her old husband. We all got them in our lives. The blamers. They're toxic. Toxic to be around. You need to cut the blamers out altogether. They literally have to be removed from your energy cycle, from your field of energy. They, they bring very little to the table. The next mindset is the dreamer. The dreamers are great. They're, they're your Uncle Bob, who when you drive down the street, Uncle Bob says, do you see that corner lot over there? Boy, if I bought that lot 20 years ago, could you imagine what that lot would have been worth today if I had only bought at the beach? I could have bought at the beach for 8,500 bucks. You know what it's worth today? When I win the lottery, right? The dreamers are the ones that you like to have around for, for parties. They're just fun people to be around, right? But they're never making any money. And then the third mindset is the game facers, the killers. Our friend Carrie Ann is a killer. A wonderful person, game facer through and through. Game facers win, y'all. Winners hang out with winners. That's why you're all here. She has created a force field, an energy field that has brought you guys together that says, I like the feel of this place. That's what winners do. That's what game facers do. Three phases of wealth as a strategy before we close. Number one, broke. The problem with broke is so many people live like they're not broke, but they're broke. The one thing I try to do in this book is give milestones so people really understand where you are financially. It was what I was searching for for all these years. Somebody tell me whether I'm okay. Am I on track? Am I off track? Where, where do I need to be? And I give actual numbers that define that in the book. First uh, phase of wealth is broke. The second phase is accumulation mode. This is where you're stacking and racking cash. This is where you're trying to get ahead, where you're making more money, where you're going to your boss and you're asking for more money. I tell you exactly how to do it in this book. Exactly what to do if your boss says no. And then the third phase is rich. And here's what's most important about rich. 
I don't have the guts to stand in front of you and tell you what rich is for you. I don't have the, the, the courage to define that for you. You have to define what rich is. I have a client who drives a truck for six months out of the year and surfs in Costa Rica for six months out of the year. He's filthy rich. That's a rewarding, incredible lifestyle for him. I can't take that away from him and have the nerve to say, you're not rich because you don't have X number of dollars. You gotta figure out what rich is through defining what your lifestyle by design is. All of it's in the book. Now, primary strategy to finish. How do you know whether you're on track with your money or not? It's the one, three, five, ten formula. In your 20s, you should have one times your annual income as your net worth. If you make 50 grand, you're 25, you make 50 grand, you should have a net worth of $50,000. I don't care where it comes from. I don't care if it's cash, equity in your cars, equity in your home, 401k, savings, it doesn't matter to me. It's the 1x formula. When we get into our 30s, we go to the 3x formula. So let's just say that we're now making 100 grand a year in our 30s. Three times 100 is, Blake? $300,000. So now we did a net worth of $300,000. We're 35, we're making 100. My 3x formula puts you at a net worth of $300,000 in your 30s. Some of you are already starting to pucker. You're already like, uh-oh, not quite there. I get it. That's still on a little of the fear part of today. In your 40s, it moves to a 5x. So now you're making 200 grand a year, whatever. 5x is a million bucks. And when we get to our 50s, we go to a 10x. So now we're making, you pick the number, multiply it times 10, and that's your desired net worth. That's the strategy part of today. I hope you leave with these four things, y'all. I hope you leave with a little bit of courage to torch it, man. Burn it up. Go back to whatever that mess is, whether it's your business or your management team or maybe your relationship, and have the guts to torch it. Just clean it up. Have the hope that it will work. It has made my life so much better. The single greatest business decision I ever did was to torch my business. The third piece is a little bit of fear. You gotta recognize that money is not this neutral. Money doesn't play nice. Money is a win-lose game. Quick note on that, money is also like an old dog. It just wants its belly petted. When you start to control your money situation, you will realize that money just rolls over and becomes totally submissive for you, and then it becomes really fun. I'm gonna put some over here, I'm gonna put some over here. No, I'm not gonna do it over here. And now you're in total control of the chips. And so many of us live on the opposite side, right? Where it's biting at our butt all the time. And the last is that strategy. Take that one, three, five, ten home with you today and really analyze it. Where are you? Because I've tested that formula against the richest people and the poorest people I know. And listen to me, that formula is how it plays out. Thank you all. CEOs of our own businesses, mm. right? Being self-employed, we run our own businesses, um, and it can be as small or as grand as we want it to be. So you took your business and you went from, you torched it and got it up to $180 million. So share with us um, the progression of that. All it is is grit and grind, but I don't want to oversimplify it. 
because the first 10 years were pure hell for me. So for those of you who are in business and you're really grinding it and you're like, when is it going to turn? I'm telling you, it's going to take time. The second batch, the second round of it was 10 to 15, which was like double hell. Because that's when I was terribly afraid that it wasn't going to work, right? The first 10 years, I knew I had to work to try to pull it out. I just had to grind. But then there's a realization of maybe I'm in the wrong business. Is this thing really going to get me where I need it to go? Is this really what I call in the book the right platform? And then the last eight years have been magic. And I'm telling you, if you work at it, if you follow somebody else's lead, if you are in the platform that makes sense that you should be in. Here's a problem. So many people are in bad businesses, y'all. We're in businesses. Look, if you're working at Subway Sandwich Shop and you're making Subways and you think you're going to drive a Lambo, it ain't going to happen. Okay? It don't work. It's the wrong platform. Unless you have dreams to own 40 subways. And then maybe you can pull it off. The last eight have been magical. Like, like achieved things that I never thought remotely possible financially. And more than financially. But it become, it, it's because of the 15 years of the grind. So did, in those last eight years, did you diversify? Did you change it up? Nothing. Nothing. All we did was even get more focused, four industries. We financed equipment in four industries, trucking, towing, construction, and moving. They're not sexy, I get it, but very blue-collar based. I have a very blue-collar based workforce, um, and that's it. Prior to that, we were doing, I don't know, uh, forklifts or material handling. We don't do any of that sort of stuff, right? Four industries, laser focused in a niche that I knew worked. Highly recommended to everybody here. Get extremely niche based. Generalists are very, that's a very dangerous place to live. I would much rather be number one in my division, my narrow and deep division, than I would number 85 in this big pond. So how do you manage a lot of folks in the room and start a team or have a team? Yeah. How do you manage such a large team with those four beliefs to make sure that everybody is maintaining those on a regular basis? Okay, cool. Real takeaway, must do personality tests. You must do personality tests. If you are hiring people off of a resume or a friend of a friend, you don't know what you're getting. We use the predictive index. There is the DISC test as well, if any of us have taken that. The predictive index... Um, the company says it's 87% accurate. We think it's 95% accurate. If you're hiring people without giving them a personality test, that is a huge mistake. They can fake you out. They will fake you out. There are professional interviewers out there. You must get a personality test. Let the data do the talking on who they really are. And then, are they still the right person for the fit? Look, I hire a few, few types of personality tests. I want them to be very happy. Like, if you're miserable at home, my office isn't going to make it any better for you. Okay? <laughs> I want happy people, I want funny people. I want people who are happy and enjoy life. And I really like viciously competitive people. Like one of my number one guys was captain of his football team at Rice. And life just sort of kicked him in the teeth a little bit after he got out of Rice, right? He was the big man on campus, everything was going great for him. And then it just didn't quite work out for him for a couple years. But I sensed that in him, right? If you're captain of your football team at Rice, you know what it's like to win. You just need somebody to believe in you. So I'm looking for that stuff. Like we're hiring a new guy. He, was the, um, he won a national championship at Notre Dame as the kicker. 
And life sort of kicked him around a little bit, right? And I said, I only care that you were the kicker for a national championship in Notre Dame, pal. You can, I don't care where you worked. I don't care about any of that stuff. I can take that and turn you into a killer. So you talk about the beliefs daily? Do you? Every day. Everything, everything in my office connects to mission statement and core values. Everything. I am the keeper of the culture. I don't process an application. Our gentleman um, back here said, hey, I left you a message. Somebody, uh, some, I, you know, I had a lead for you. So I was like, oh, man, I, I thought I pushed that off to somebody. <laughs> I don't process anything. I, I bring in zero revenue for my, my company right now. Nothing, not a nickel. I don't handle a customer. I don't handle a credit application, nothing. I am only the keeper of the culture. That is my superpower. And, and sooner or later, we have to, to be effective leaders and great businesses. You've got to play your superpower, y'all. Most of us are doing way too many things that we shouldn't be doing. I try to focus on one or two things a day, that's it, which is keeper of the culture and motivating, talking to people through their problems or their issues. I get a lot of pleasure out of them. Not the problems so much. Like, I don't really hear the problems much, right? It's just sort of like, you know, you got to fix that, all right? Um, but that's the challenge with small business owners. Come on, let's be real about it, right? We are Superman or Superwoman. Everything has to go through us. And I'm here to tell you, stop that. That's not how it works. You need to remove yourself from the business. My business offer, someone asked me, are you itching to get back to the office? No. My business runs on its own. I don't want to get back to my office. I want to go out and do more of this. How long did it take for your business to run on its own? It took 20 years. <laughs> it took 20 years. But I was the block in that. <laughs> I was the blocker of that, though, y'all. I literally, I wasted a decade of, of just uh, being thick-headed, uh, being, I, I had a desire uh, to be right versus a desire to be accurate. Two very different things, right? If you want to be accurate, you're taking an exchange of information from your team, from your people. If you want to be right, you, you're just biting your nose off to spite your face. Does anybody have a question that, um, that we can ask? Who's your business hero? It's a great question. Warren Buffett says, show me your, your heroes and I'll show you how your life's going to turn out. I had no heroes. I had no mentors. I didn't, I didn't have it at home. I didn't have it on the football field. A friend of mine's dad didn't pull me aside and say, hey, Monero, you're pretty good at this. I think you should go down that road. My mentors and my heroes came from tapes, literally tapes, books. I have listened to thousands and thousands of hours of motivational tapes. I used to go to a place, you have a place called Half Price Books up here? Half Price Books? No? We have them all over Dallas. And I used to go into Half Price Books and I would go to the back to the clearance rack and I would buy like Tony Robbins' personal power on sale for 49 cents. And I'll give you a tip on that, amazing. Take a guess how many of the six tapes in the series were actually listened to. Half of the first. That's your competition. That's who you're competing against. Those who start and stop. They have no grit. They can't stick it out. Like your mama had it wrong when she told you the first step is what matters, Sonny. First step doesn't mean squat. The fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. The ability to keep walking when you don't want to walk. To keep calling when you don't want to call. To keep following up when the customer has already made you feel 
less worthy. That's when you grind and you keep doing it. The first step doesn't mean squat anymore, y'all. Anybody have another question? So, on this book, there's a you know, a lot of us, and myself included, you know, we're working so hard to make so much money today, achieve the goal that we want to do today. Um, however, are we really planning for tomorrow, right, like, like you referenced? Are there some certain strategies in here that, you know, you can tell me what I need to do with that money I worked so hard to make last month so I can't, you know, plan for my daughter and I I think that's the next book. Yeah, and I know that's a little bit of a tease, but literally, I don't get into too much of investment strategies in here. I do make a suggestion to everybody today. By the way, where is Todd Chrisley? I need to see Todd Chrisley. My mother is not an easy woman, all right? You need to do two things. You need to do one thing when you leave here, and that's set up two accounts. Hear me on this. It's saved my butt so many times on, on so many fronts. You need an operating account, which is your budgeted operating account, how much money comes in, how much you need to spend, and how much you need to keep at the end. That is your operating account. It's your household budget. It's what you live on. Go ahead and throw some nice stuff in there. Throw date night in there. I don't care what you throw in there, but you need to know what that number is. The second is your reserve account. People have it named wrong. They call it a savings account. It is not a savings account. Here's what happens with a savings account. We have it on our phone both accounts at Chase, and when we're a little short, we just swipe over, right, and we move it back and forth. That's not a reserve account. My reserve account is at a bank in Dallas. It has two branches. It is closed on Saturday and only open from nine to five. I have no check writing, no credit card, no debit card connected to the account. In other words, it's a bitch to get my money. So I have to really think about do I really want to go through that aggravation to get this money out? The second reason you need the reserve account, I talk about this in the book, y'all. No one talks about this. No one tells us this. You, you, you can't get into deals for less than 100 grand. Like, you're not going to get into a private equity deal for 10,000 bucks. You're probably not going to get into the commercial apartment deal for $25,000. Can anyone figure out why? The investors don't want to jack with you. They're like, if I need a million bucks, I'll take 100 from 10 people versus, you know, 25 from whatever that number is. 25, 25, whatever that number, 40, whatever that, I don't even know what the math is on. Deals start at 100 grand. The reserve account is your stack and rack account. You push all this money into it. Everything other than what you need to live on goes into the reserve account. And then when you work on your network like I talk about and you start to move up the food chain with your relationships and all sorts of stuff, that deal's going to come across your desk and you have the ability to pull the trigger on it. If you don't have that reserve account, you cannot make big moves. We have to earn more, but we need to make some hits. We need a couple home runs in our lives, y'all, right? We need a stock that we buy at 20 and it goes to 80. We need a house that we bought at 200 and it goes to 400. We need some pops and those pops don't happen without a funded reserve account. And taking risks, right? In your career. I talk about risk a lot in the book. Um, Risk to me is is a misnomer. 
I don't believe there is a lot of risk in anything um, because I'm willing to do the research and analysis. L ask yourself this, and I say it in my office all the time, why is it that a trucking company has one truck in it and J.B. Hunt has 30,000? How does that happen? Why is it that one house flipper flips one house and another house flipper flips 200 houses a year? How does that happen? It's the interpretation of risk. It's one person who said it's too risky, the other person who did the research and analysis who said there is no risk. I get it. I understand the market. I have the contractors. I can get my hands on the money. I have the leverage. I'm in. It's your interpretation of risk, and risk exists because we don't do the research and analysis to remove the risk from the situation. We just dip in, and then all that head cheese comes back that says, it's too risky. Dad told me it was too risky. Dad didn't do it, so I can't do it, okay? So. Anybody else have a question that can be asked? Those that are kind of in an unsure place right now, what are some, what's some advice? Like, how do they know what yeah, That's awesome. Torch it all. <laughs> so, so, I mean, burn it up. So here's what I mean by that. So it's a really a wonderful question, right? You need to rethink it. How would you have done it differently? Like, what would you have done? Would you have changed the paint color? Would you have changed the dress code? That guy who made 567 grand a year came to my office in shorts and Crocs. I mean, you're not gonna let a guy come to your office in Crocs, are you? I did, right? It would never happen in my office today, never. You wouldn't even dream about dressing like that much of a schlub in my office today, right? You, you just wouldn't happen. So what do you tolerate? What do you stand for? What do you want the business to look like? I mean, if you, if you can't, by the way, in that torch, completely remodeled my office from top to bottom. Marble floors, everything. I, so I said to myself, if some ex-employee ever comes into this office, they are instantaneously gonna say this is a different place, right? So all of it, by the way, you can torch your business and start to change the energy just by changing the paint color. Just have a paint party, order some pizzas and they walk in on Monday and the paint and the color is different. It can start that small, but it has to start. Because if it doesn't, think of the pain. Is this, is this agony going to go on forever? Is this uncertainty going to go on forever? I mean, isn't the beautiful part about leadership and entrepreneurship, the magic is that eventually we get to trust it, right? That it has legs, that it stands on its own. Isn't that the most exciting part about it? That it actually becomes a cash machine that just spits out tokens and you don't have to do shit for it? That's business, you all. That is entrepreneurship. Working in your business every day to pay the bills and deal with bullshit from your customers and your, your employees is not business. That is not entrepreneurship. That is hell. So what would you say to the 50, 60, 70 year olds who are working for themselves and trying to build their businesses as far as how to start over? You mean to make up this financial gap? Yeah. It is a great question. Um, I tell you, there are some really amazing things that you can do, though. Um, you can take your expertise and partner with someone that is short on your expertise. And they will pay for that, right? So we're offering all these different product lines in my business, and we're creating separate corporations every time we do it, and I'm giving away 49%. So for the extended warranty company that we're partnering with, they get 49%. I don't care about it. They get 49%. They'll make 300 grand a year 
just for being my partner in that business and I'll turn them onto all of the leads. We're opening up an insurance company. I'm giving 49% to that person as well, right? He'll make half a million bucks a year from that. So take that expertise and look to partner with somebody that you can make a new deal, a joint venture, a new partnership, and you can leverage your experience where they're short, okay? That's great. Yes. Hey Matt, first off, thank you for coming. Thanks, buddy. I, I, would, I would say you changed my business. We met back before Thanksgiving. Um, the biggest advice you gave me was I had to get out of my own way. Uh, hired an operations director. Yeah. Uh, currently, as we expect across the country, we're looking for that talent. Yeah. What's the secret to finding those type of people? Especially we're in a great economy, especially in the see where unemployment's less than 3%. Yeah which is happening all over the country. It's a very difficult marketplace to hire people in. So everybody who's got that same problem needs to understand it's a tough market to hire great people. Even the lousy employees are pretty gainfully employed, right? So um, number one, the answer, and I hate to keep coming back to it and make it sound so simple, but um, your core values and your mission statement are what is needed, and that person or people will start to come to you. Every day I get hit up, uh, every day, for people who want to come and work for our company because um, they maybe see my TEDx talk or they know about our culture and our mission statement. That dictates everything, you all. I cannot overstate the importance of core values and mission statement. Once you know what you stand for and what they get, they will come to you. I promise you, they will come to you. My operations manager, you know, she's only been with us 18 months and she's already been promoted to operations manager and she moved to Dallas for this position. Didn't have the position, moved to Dallas for the position before I even knew who she was. That's mission statement and core values and, and videos and some branding and stuff like that, right? Um, so, but I am hiring a VP of sales, a new VP of sales for our company, and I'm paying a, a, a recruiter big money. It cost me 90 grand for the recruiter to find me a world-class VP of sales. So, you know, you have, to be, you have to be willing to pay up. By the way, that's very difficult for small business owners like us, right? because um, that means we gotta take a pay cut, right? And we don't wanna take a pay cut. Guess what? You gotta take a step back to take two steps forwards and you're gonna have to do it multiple times. If you want world-class employees and an executive team and you want world-class people. So are you finding those people, the folks that you hired before, um, are they already familiar with the industry or no. they just fit in that cult, uh, the yeah. core culture and then we're teaching them the real estate industry or yeah. etc. We're junkyard dogs in my office. We're alley cats. We come from all walks of life. My number one guy will make a million three this year has a two-year associate's degree knew nothing about my business. Most of the people in my office know nothing about our business when they start with us. But we have a thing called CFF University. It has 260 videos in it, which literally train them on how they dress, on what they say, how the phone gets answered, how you travel, literally how you fill out your expense report, everything. So we just stick them into that. That goes back to the expectation part, y'all. Remember we talked about that earlier? Most people don't know what you expect of them. You think they do, but they don't. So you've got to really slow that process down and make it super easy for them to understand how they can win within your organization, because everybody wants to win. Really, people really want to win. Don't lose sight of that. Don't believe that millennial BS, that millennials don't want to win and all that stuff. Man, I got a few millennials, they're killers, right? Millennials want what their parents have already screwed up on. Trust me. So, uh, but you have to be a world-class leader. You've got to lead. 
And again, I go back to this magic of business. That's the magic of being in business for yourself or leading a team. You get to call the shots. It's your game. You play it. So at the beginning, how much money did you reinvest? So a lot of us um, sometimes get struggled with spending money to make money, yeah. right? So, you know, do you, what is your take on how much money we should reinvest in our, you know, own businesses at the time? It's a hard one, you know, because as we get older too, we have different burdens. So I started the company at 25, right? I had no burdens. Um, as we get older, you know, it's different. Whether our spouse doesn't work and our children are in private schools or going to college, whatever that is. So it's hard. Um, I don't have a rule of thumb on that. Um, I just, I look for a two to one ratio. So if I spend a dollar, I want two dollars coming back. So if I go to a trade show, if I do some marketing effort, if I put up one, I want two coming back. And that's a, I know it's simple, but that's a rule of thumb that we still use. Um, so I don't have a wonderful answer on that of how much you should spend in your money. Now, I have a friend, Brad Lee. We know Brad Lee. Um, Brad Lee sets the bar at reinvesting in his business. I've never seen a guy spend more money putting it back in his business. He's never afraid to spend to reinvest in his business. And his business has just continued to thrive and blow up. So it's a great question. It's a hard question for a rule of thumb. For me, it's a two-to-one ratio. Um, and every time I've reinvested in my business, like big money back in, um, it's paid dividends. So, you know, you got to take care of it. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a member of your family if you're doing it right. If you're really in business and not limping in, it's a member of your family, right? It's a child. Yeah, absolutely. Question? Yeah, I think one of the uh, two things I would recommend to everybody if you're struggling on this topic. Number one, you do need a personal assistant. You do need somebody to handle the mess, right? Just the clutter that comes across your desk every day. But the problem with personal assistance is I can't afford a personal assistant. That's why you need a personal assistant. Trust me, get a personal assistant. You don't have to work 40 hours. Get them 20 hours a week if that's all you can afford. But get somebody to help you declutter the mess so you can stay in your personal your, uh, superpower. Um, everything is calendared for me, so the Outlook calendar, and I share it with my office and my uh, assistant, um, so everything is seen, and my response to them is fill it up. No white space, fill it up. I'm not looking for balance, I'm looking for purpose. I have no interest in shutting down my life on the weekends and being a different person on Saturdays and Sundays, it like has no connection. You could call me, if, you, if, if there's a deal, like a chance for me to like talking to you and making money with you, you can call me anytime you want. Anytime. And by the way, that's what the players do too. Like I can, the richest guys I know, I can call them at any time of the day. They're like, hey, what's up? How you doing? Right? Nobody. The players don't shut down on the weekends, y'all, because they're on purpose. That's why they're players. If you're dealing with these people that lead two different lives, like social and business, they're, they're integrated when you're on purpose. Okay. Uh, one last thing. For those of you that do have a few bucks and you're really looking to go to the next level with your business, I'm going to give you a suggestion. The most important person you can hire, not a COO, not a new CFO, not a new marketing manager, is a senior project manager. Someone who takes our entrepreneurial minds and whiteboards it. 
and slows it down, right? Because we all put lipstick on pigs, right? We're like, put the Band-Aid on and say, oh, it's fixed, right? But we leave chaos behind, right? Oh, that, that program will work fine. Go ahead and launch it on Monday. And it gets launched, and 10 of your best people are like, what the hell are you doing? Did you not see this? And did you not see this? And did you not see this? So I have a senior project manager. Her name is Sarah. She's so doggone smart. And everything goes through Sarah, and she slows it down, and she whiteboards it, and she says, what if this, and what if this, and what if this? And then we go ahead and launch it effectively. She has saved my butt so many times to the point where we now have, she has an assistant, an assistant project manager to help her. And we're, we're accomplishing like 50 big initiatives a year where maybe I was accomplishing five because I was just caught, they were all wrong and we had to retract them and fix them and do all that sort of stuff. So that's a little bit of an elevation. It's hard if you're a one man or one woman show to pull off that senior project manager. Your first hire should be an executive assistant. But if you're a little deeper down the road, seriously think about a senior project manager to whiteboard these, these complex problems that are going on in everybody's business that we fix too early. That was huge last year when I learned that. You know, I had many of you know Lindsay, um, who is turned into my project manager, someone that you know can, can break it down. So having a partner in crime that can definitely help you go to that next level is, was definitely a huge takeaway. So yeah, cool. Thank you so much. You're Thank welcome. Thank you all. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.